0: On today's episode of the Total Soccer Show, Bobby Warshaw makes his triumphant return. He is here to break down the Borussia Dortmund Bayern Munich game. Uh, no spoilers at this point, though we will spoil the results very early on in the show. Uh, but we talk about uh, maybe how the teams approached this, how one team maybe got it more right, but not necessarily that the other team got it wrong. I'm keeping it real vague, uh, so you'll continue to listen. But before we get to me and Bobby having that conversation, as well as ones about predestination and uh, freedom of thought, it's a weird episode, but a good one. I want to to let you know that in a world of uncertainty one thing is for sure, cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, The Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie ABB, VIE, if you're wondering, uh, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or and 62 steps. I'm going to assume that's how many steps are in a floor. You can do the math and figure out if that works out. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. So join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at LLS.org slash Big Climb. A link to that website is included in today's show notes. Thank you very much to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for sponsoring this episode and for putting together a very worthwhile event. Now, on with the show. Everybody and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I'm your host, Taylor Rockwell. I can see the man I'm going to be talking to you today, which is why I'm extra energetic in the introduction. It's a man who has a pop filter in his pants and is still happy to see me. It's not one or the other. It's Bobby Warshaw. Hello, Bobby.
1: It's good to know you've already set the boundaries
0: of this conversation
1: <laughs> and that anything we say anytime is just free to be reset on air, but that's cool. Hey, it's good to know early on.
0: I think it's I think it's important to acknowledge that you are such a professional that even though you're recording remotely, like not even from the comfort of your own apartment, you still have a pop filter because you recognize the importance of good audio quality and for that I'm thankful. <laughs>
1: Who goes anywhere without a filter?
0: <laughs> I, I should add that your initial introduction, because I always try to write at least something down, was going to be joining me as a man you want as your small-sided captain, which is true. I do love it when I'm on Bobby's team, and he ha- he gets to handle the responsible stuff, and I just get to play. Bobby's a very good uh, small-sided captain, if, if ever you get the opportunity to kick around with him.
1: You know, when I was, when I was in Dallas, the head coach, Shellis Hyndman, did not love me as a player, but he did tell me once that if there was a 5v5 world cup i would be captain of the u.s national team
0: for real for which which of yeah, the many possible know. reasons mustache I, aside
1: i think it was mostly a slight <laughs> and he was just like kind of being a jerk in the moment <laughs> but I'll, i've always remembered it and i try and make it a positive
0: have you interacted with emerson Heinemann much i'm wondering how much like similarity there is there
1: only when he was 14 or 15 and came to practice but not since then
0: and but was he disrespectful of your playing ability did he also say you'd be good at uh 5v5 sort of games
1: no, he was so nice, except that moment that Shellis brought him over and he was like, this is Bobby. He's a rookie. He went to Stanford and looks at his grandson and says, you're not going to college. That's not your path. You're taking another route. Oh. So, All right.
0: <laughs> That's, That's it's, cool. that, that story could really go one of two ways, because sometimes when you say like my, and then his grandfather looked at him and said, you're never going to college. It can have a very negative effect. Or in this case, I'm assuming that meant because you're going pro sure. and thus you'll be in Scotland or Germany when you're 16. Seriously. All right. That makes sense. Well, Bobby is here uh, to help me make sense of today's Big game in the Bundesliga. I'm not going to call it Der Klassiker because apparently that is just a Bundesliga creation and we can't go that route, but we are going to talk about Dortmund's 1-0 loss to Bayern Munich, uh, a result that maybe sees Bayern sort of clinch the title. There are still many games to go, um, but we do have Bayern with the 1-0 win. We had Leverkusen uh, dropping points in a big way, losing 4-0 to John Brooks FC. That's their official name. Gladbach uh, drawing 0-0 with uh, Werder Bremen. So a point for Joss Sargent, if not a goal. But we're going to be focusing on uh, Dortmund Bayern, Bobby. Before this game kicked off, what were your expectations? How did you think it would maybe play out? And then did that sort of go mostly according to plan? Because we've seen some blowout games one way or the other. We've seen some very close games. I wasn't sure what we were going to get, so I'm wondering if you had some uh, some plans for this one, some thoughts for this one.
1: Tyler, I wouldn't say I had expectations. You know, I've enjoyed Bundesliga being back. Two hasn't, I guess. Uh, But I think that the quality of the players has been good. The quality of the teams has been good. The games have largely looked the same, you know, minus the crowd noise. Uh, But I, I didn't really have expectations. I thought it was two good teams coming in and I was just looking forward to it.
0: And, and so in this game, we get uh, the eventual winner uh, in the first half from Joshua Kimmich, uh, a lovely chip, which I'm going to assume he meant. He's, he's aiming for the back post. I feel like all that technique is perfect. Manuel Fates, who's been on the show before, will be on it again this week, uh, I think tweeted that it was a 6% chance of him scoring that goal. And maybe is that the difference today? Is Joshua Kimmich like, pulling off some ridiculous bit of skill? Is that, in your mind, what separated these two teams?
1: I would have thought it was 6%. I would have thought it was less than that. Really? I didn't look at ours, but I would have thought it was less from that spot in the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great shot, but also... You I love, to you, I love you,
0: I love you focusing in on... It should have been 4%. 6% is too high.
1: Well, that matters, right? Like, that's the whole That's the whole new evolution in soccer, right? The fact that, like, all of these shots and spots in the field have a a probability to them, and how do you maximize those? uh but yeah it was it was a great shot but also you would have thought the goalie would have saved it right isn't that what you were saying as the ball went in like incredible shot but come on man like you got to do a little bit better
0: yeah I mean I I think Roman Berkey is a goalkeeper we've discussed many times in the past of like being very good but then occasionally having these crazy moments usually it involves him getting beat at the near post uh in this case it is him like getting a lot of his hand to that ball and it wasn't as though it was some smashed ball from distance that like had so much power behind it. You would have thought he could have maybe turned that one onto the post or over the goal. I don't think he really helped himself very much there. So yeah, maybe you're right then that it's like a good moment from Yoshua Kimmich, but maybe one that was uh, made to look all the better because of some less than good goalkeeping.
1: Yeah. I don't mind following the old American cliche. Hey, you get a gel- you get a glove on it. You got to make the catch, uh,
0: <laughs> which he did not. He did save some other ones, but not that one. Um, and then I think for, for Bayern. We had Manuel Neuer make some saves. We, we did have the defense, like, uh, have some headaches a few different times, but maybe not to the extent that I would have expected with, uh, Holland as good as he's been, Julian Brandt as good as he's been, Jaden Sancho potentially playing, although today, uh, not getting as many minutes as I thought. I thought he would start. But it kind of didn't matter because Bayern had Alfonso Davies, who might be the fastest player on the planet, uh, right now. I think was up there in terms of fastest player in the Bundesliga with one of his sprints today. I'm hoping it was the one to close down uh, Erling Holland. Uh, but Bobby, that's a man who you uh, saw before he was a man, when he was a child playing in Major League Soccer. Yeah. When you saw him then, before he made this move to Bayern, like what was your sort of expectation of him like going to Germany, or what what was the sort of like ceiling you thought he would have? Because I certainly didn't think he would be starting and being this consistently good for Bayern Munich at this point.
1: Yeah. I want to come back to the game, though. Okay. I see what you're doing moving to Alfonso Davies early in the show. That's very good craftsmanship <laughs> by you. But I want to come back to, this, to the game later. You know, Alfonso Davies, did I think he had this in him? Yes. But actually, you know how we did 22 under 22 at MLS? Mm-hmm. And I actually had Tyler Adams higher on my list. And it wasn't because I thought Tyler Adams had a higher ceiling, which I think is still like, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tyler Adams you know, achieve these heights either. Um, but it was the fact that I didn't expect Alfonso Davies to progress as quickly as he did yeah. at a club like Bayern Munich. Right. And it wasn't about like what he could do or the trajectory he could do it at as much as was Bayern Munich the right place for a teenager who still needed to grow to go in and get minutes. And I actually remember being in the studio, we did a reaction show immediately after Davies got sold, and I was a little sad. You know, it's amazing from a, a PR perspective for MLS to move someone to Bayern Munich. But I wasn't sure it was the right move for him as a player for his career. He had David Alaba. Uh, they were, you know, moving for Lucas Hernandez. They had Kimmich who could play all over the field. They had tons of wingers. Uh, so I admit, Taylor, that I did not expect it to come this quickly just because I was worried that Bayern wasn't the perfect place for the moment.
0: Were there, was there a specific moment or are there specific things that you've seen from him that sort of made you uh, second-guess that or change that opinion a little bit? Or is it just that, like, eventually he's very good and then Byron did their job?
1: Well, the, the big thing is that all, everything like this has the element of luck. I mean, mm-hmm. what are the odds of David Alaba having a long-term injury, Hernandez being hurt, yeah, and then all of a, all of a sudden Alfonso Davies gets a run of games, Yeah, you know he gets David Alaba becomes a
0: center back. I didn't really see that coming like four years ago. Well, that was because of Alphonso Davies. Right. I actually think
1: that Alphonso Davies made that happen. But the fact that he got the run of games to build his form, build his confidence—not that he was bad early on—but usually, no matter what happens to a young player, they're always moved back to the bench because that player comes back into the team. So there's the element of luck. Uh, I think it worked out great. It was a a great move by Kovacs to move him to left back. You know that deserves some credit too. One of his few
0: good moments. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a guy who was maligned at Bayern, but hopefully Bayern fans look back and say he made the right call with that moving Davies to his to his best position.
0: That's interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, that's definitely, especially if he continues to have the trajectory he he's had so far in the career he is currently having. Yeah, maybe Nikolic gets a little bit more credit for that. But with Davies developing as he has, have there been things that you have seen that are like not even fundamentally different, but just like things he is able to do now that he just clearly was not able to do when he was in MLS. Yeah.
1: So the two things, the two things I think about the most are one the early the early cultured whipped ball in behind a back four. Mm-hmm. It's not a cross, but it's that ball that uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about this pass, right? The early ball in behind the opposing defense as they retreat. Whereas Alphonso Davies was more of I'm going to put my head down. I'm just going to get it to the middle. You can see him have a little bit more art to those to those balls into the box now. And the second thing is. His aggressiveness defensively, which is a trite line when we talk about defenders, but with outside backs, you hear a lot of coaches now, as the game has become more counter-pressing, getting their defenders to play forward, right? When we lose the ball, don't make your first reaction to drop. Go forward, take the chance, take the risk to keep attacking the ball and try and win it back quickly. And Alphonso Davies does that. How many times does he pick up a straight a straight pass from the other team or a bad touch where he's driving forward and just has tons of space? It's like a weird thing, but yeah. it feels like his best moments are when he just picks up a loose ball or he rewins the ball and he's attacking space. And that's just a natural thing to be an attacking not like just an attacking attacking defender but an attacking defensive defender does
0: it's, that make sense it does and then it's also really like maybe indicative of the times we live in that i feel like in the past if you talked about a very aggressive defender it immediately conjures up images of physical challenges and winning aerials On and 50-50s but In terms of like, yeah, like we I do think Byron probably rate his aggression on the ball, like or like aggression in terms of when he's stepping forward as being far more important than the physicality, which, again, I think gets to the kind of uh, evolution of soccer where six percent is maybe uh, like a a better percentage than you would have thought. And the aggressiveness when we talk about it is aggressiveness to get forward and make things happen.
1: He doesn't he doesn't retreat, I think, is the better way to put it. He yeah. continues to go forward and he hear so many coaches say, be brave, stay aggressive. Don't let the first out in your mind and we lose it to retreat and get behind the ball. And he does that well and it creates a lot of opportunities for Bayern.
0: And they had they had a few. Robert Lewandowski also hits the post. Uh, I, I think I'm just still... Like sort of shocked that this finished 1-0. Because once Bayern went up, you know they're going to be able to kind of sit off a little bit more. They're going to invite pressure. Dortmund are going to have to try to find a way back in. Sometimes that means they do. Sometimes it means they're exposed and they concede like three more and it finishes 4-0. So maybe from that perspective, it was an okay result. Uh, But it's still a loss of points. We still have Bayern going even further up the top of the table. Are there things looking back that you think Dortmund could have done better? Because, like, not even necessarily that they had a bad game, but just that whenever you lose, yeah. it's not the result you're looking for.
1: I want to flip this. So, yeah, big picture in this. <laughs> uh-huh. did, Bayern, did Bayern win? Did Dortmund lose? Or was it a close game that Bayern just came out on the right side of?
0: Uh, if you're asking me, I would say... From the game that I saw, having only watched it once, usually I try to go back and watch it twice, but this time just the once, I would say that Bayern won it, but not from like banking all their money on Joshua Kimmich scoring a lovely chip, more so because I think some of the pressing from Bayern and maybe a little bit of the aggressiveness from Bayern, especially in the first half was either not something Dortmund were prepared for or they just really were not actually prepared to play that way because it felt to me like Dortmund were more out of sync in transition than I am accustomed to seeing them, and I tend to give their opposition credit as opposed to just saying, like, oh, they were just kind of bad and couldn't make it happen.
1: Yeah, they weren't quite as sharp. Mm -hmm. I I would actually go one one more spot on the spectrum and say it was an even game that Bayern came out on top of. Which is probably an indication of them being the better team, because mm-hmm. it happens often enough with Bayern that it's probably a reflection of what they do well. But I don't think Dortmund was poor today. I mean, did you did you come out of this saying Dortmund's going to feel like they not blew it, but they will be kicking themselves a little bit?
0: I, I think in terms of like resu- like the way this result could have been. Like It's a tighter game, you're right, that it's a marginal thing, but it is also about as bad as it could have gone, because they lose, they don't score, also Holland subs out, Gio Reyna gets to play, but it's because Holland gets an injury, we're not sure the severity of it yet, and that's the only reason why I say it It could end up being a very, very, very disastrous game, because if they lose this one, and then Holland has a strain and tries to play the next game, and then that becomes a full tear or a full pull or something, and then he's out for a while... I, I, I kind of forgot about the days when Dortmund did not have a striker and had very few attacking options, and Holland, once you lose him, you're definitely going back to false nine territory.
1: The club of one striker. <laughs> the club of siempre, forever one striker. Uh, yeah, so I, I thought that Dortmund largely was pretty good today. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they got to, if you think about, you always want to score, right? That's obvious. But in order to score, you want to get into good spots to score, and then to back it up one more, to get in good spots to score, you have to get into good spots to set up that good spot to score mm-hmm. is the way I generally think about it, those three layers. And I actually thought that Dortmund did the third layer where it's, did they get into a spot that would have put them one pass away from being a pass toward goal? And did they get into a spot? Did they play that pass? And I thought those they did pretty well. They shouldn't say they did well, but they got in positions to do them but didn't execute. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like I, yeah. Overall, I thought that Dortmund did most of their game plan well. They, ex- they executed most of their ideas well. But when it came to that stinger ball across the box or it came to that one through ball that went to the wrong side or that one ball into Holland and behind, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite the right weight. It was more about that singular piece of execution than how they played as a whole.
0: Much, much more still to come from my chat with Bobby Warshaw, my extended chat, I should say. But before we get to that, I wanted to let you know that this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you in part by Podium Podium Wear is a custom team apparel manufacturer from Minnesota. They're turning the world of soccer team kit ordering on its head. It was a world I didn't even know existed, but I assume it could be turned on its head, and I assume that they're the ones to do it. They provide custom designs in a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. In normal times, we'd talk about how great this process is, how your experience ordering uh, for your or your kids' club teams will be made infinitely easier by them. Um, And maybe there's some people out there who need a new jersey uh, design. Uh, Ford Madison have put out their third kit. It is lovely and wonderful and has turned some heads, so maybe you want to make a splash yourself. Podium wear, have you covered? That's in normal times. Because of the COVID-19 crisis, Podium wear has started making face masks for you to wear uh, while you're out and about to protect yourself. You can wear them on workouts, you can wear them coaching on the sidelines if you're a German manager. uh, You can buy one for yourself, or you can customize masks for the entire team. Maybe you could even buy some for the German team of choice and send them over and see if they appreciate them. Uh, so you can go to podiumwear.com and get your custom masks today. Then you should bookmark them for when you're ready uh, to order your next soccer kit. Uh, that's podiumwear.com. Check them out today. Thank you very much to Podiumwear for sponsoring this episode. Now back to me and Bobby. And so, like, let me ask you this then if you have a game like that, where it's it seems, like, pretty evenly matched, and, like, maybe Dortmund didn't necessarily do anything wrong, and Bayern didn't either, and it's, it's like, uh, one spectacular moment separates the two. from For our industry, from our perspective, then, like, how do you prefer to talk about a game like that, or when, when you were still uh, working with MLS, like, how did you wish to be able to talk about a game like that, aside from, eh, it was okay, but the other team won, so, you know, that's the way it goes, like, like... 'Cause I think like like just doing analysis, especially post match analysis, yeah. lends itself to this team won and they're good, this team lost and they're yeah. bad, these two teams drew and they'll do it again next week.
1: It's a great question. I I think largely what we're doing right now, it's acknowledging that there were two good teams that were separated by one single play, by a brilliant idea from Kimmich, and then a misplay by Brokey in goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other than that, it it comes down to execution, right? Like you set up 98% of these moments and I I guess I'm blanking on the exact percentage, but you set up these moments, which is the majority of the game to then try and do this tiny percentage, which is these three or four actions. And if you set up that 98% well, and then you fail on those four actions, I don't think it means you played poorly. It's just, you didn't do that last piece, which is what separates these teams at the top. Mm Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. that an ex- is that next? Is that next? Is that a fair explanation?
0: I think it is. I think it is. And then I think it then sort of People makes sense. People listening are like, "Come on, guys, <laughs> get this guy off." <laughs> well, I think no no. I think no, no. I think I think it then speaks to the like the nuance, and whichever team gets the the little details down is more able to train in the exact right way for the exact right scenario. It's why Lexi Lawless is always saying set pieces. It's those types of moments that matter. Here, I did think that Byron pressing a bit higher up the field causing Dortmund Mm -hmm. some problems it it almost seemed like they were sort of baiting Dortmund into the long ball because Dortmund took that option Holland himself is pretty quick uh we saw him him clock a decent rate of speed as well it's just that Byron have Alphonso Davies who can make that difference but like From a player on the field standpoint, uh, and this is one that I did give Bobby a little bit of a heads up that I was going to be asking him some weird philosophical Mm -hmm. questions. I don't know if this is philosophy, but to me, anytime you go deep into the moments of like what's your brain thinking under stress, it's a different type of talk. But when you're playing against a team, like if you expect to have time on the ball and suddenly you're playing against a pressing team, for you, Bobby, as a player... What is that experience like when suddenly you don't have time that you thought you might? Like, how are you able to understand what's happening? And then, how does that change your decision making process?
1: Yeah, it's an awesome question. The first part is the mentality of it, the, the initial reaction. Because when an opponent presses, they become the aggressor. And what's the natural thing for a human to do when someone else is the aggressor against you? It's uh, to clam sh- up. I'll throw Bobby
0: in front of them and run away. That's what I do.
1: Yeah. It's just like, not, not this today. Like what, I don't want to have to deal with this crap. Right. So the first thing is saying, all right, this is happening to us, embracing it and then figuring out how you can use it. And I do think that you can use a team. I don't think this, I mean, you can use a team's press against them. Mm -hmm. And then the question is once you embrace it, how can you use it against them? And there are largely two buckets here, two main ideas. The one is what you said. Can you play direct? If they're going to press and Byron's line was high today. I mean, it was like a vs bullish line from from Chelsea days. Remember that when he was asking John Terry to squeeze all the way up. <laughs> you know, there's there's a back line that that stays high, yeah. and then there's crazy high. Today was crazy high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you play it behind them? Do you use that space and just go direct? Which is what we teams have traditionally done. You know, for years when we were kids, Taylor, the commentary, the analysis mm-hmm. was: you're getting pressed, play it behind them, make them drop. Yep. Right. Lately, and this is one of the pepisms, and there's other people, but he's the one that popularized it, was we can actually play through a press, and it's even more efficient and more dangerous and exploits their press even more. Mm-hmm. So once they push numbers forward, they have to have gaps in between their lines. Traditional defensive shape, if you think of like the ideal defensive shape, is about 25 yards front to back, striker to defender. Right. Okay? If you're going to press up to the top of an 18 – which is 18 yards, midfield is 55 or 60 yards. The defense has to be 55 or... So we're talking automatically a 40 to 50-yard difference, 35 to 45-yard difference, opposed to 25 yards. So there has to be space in between the lines. Am I like? Am I going off the rails no, here? No, 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 I'm waiting. Does the math that up? No. So there has to be space. If they're going midfield to 18, there has to be space in between their lines. So if you're brave and you're sharp... There is something to exploit there, which is what I thought Dorbin tried to do after the opening period. And, Taylor, I love how they break lines and bounce. I mean, how often do they play forward, drop it? I mm-hmm. call that a bounce. They play forward, drop it to the next person back, and then go try and go forward again once that player is looking forward.
0: Why do you call that a bounce?
1: Uh, because it basically bounces off that player. Like, it uh, comes okay. and then it just bounces off them back. It's a one-touch
0: I got gotcha. you. All right. I like that. Um, I, I think, like, the other thing that they tried to do in this game, uh, is at halftime, there's two chances for Lucien Favre. You have Jaden Sancho come, o- uh, off, or come on. Julian Brandt goes off. You have Emmerichan come on for Thomas Delaney. The Delaney emrejan one feels a bit more like for like. Thomas Delaney has uh, a yellow card at this point. So you want to kind of switch it up. Make sure your defensive midfielder is there. The Jaden Sancho one feels a bit more like, Like, okay, we're just going to put pace in, we'll have pace on either side, we have Holland up top, and we will go more direct. So, I guess, two-part question there. One, do you feel like that is what Lucien Favre was going for, given sort of what we've already been discussing with the way Munich were playing and the way Dortmund were playing? And two, not even retroactively, but, like, do you feel like that was the smart way to play? Do you think he should have stuck with what they were doing in the first half, or were there other changes that you think could have been even more effective?
1: Yeah, the subs made sense to me. I mean, they Dortmund played the exact same lineup three games in a row. There were no mm-hmm. changes from their starting 11, which was surprising. So these guys are coming off break, play back-to-back weekends in the 11, and then three days later. So I wasn't surprised to see him rotate those two guys. Uh, I kind of thought he would do a little bit more tactically different. right? I think in general I was hoping that with more substitutions we would see earlier and more aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's something like soccer, like, stat, you know, data Wong's been waiting for for a while. Was people using subs more aggressively? He didn't actually change the shape, um, but I thought it was the right move to get new players on to get fresh legs.
0: So, like, we're we're not necessarily talking about like one of these coaches won, one of these coaches lost. Therefore, one was good and one was bad. But looking at the way these two managers have sort of got their teams going, again, not even necessarily just this game. But do you, Bobby, uh, like, from a player, uh, a former pro standpoint, from a thing you've seen from them standpoint? Do you have an inclination as to which of these coaches you think you would most prefer to play under or more prefer to play under? Ooh. Lucien Favre, I, I think in my mind, like, like a bit Flick. more tactical tinkery, Hansi Flick. Uh, I th- I would say like just a bit more like the Bayern attacking style, more like let's embrace the Bayern yeah. DNA.
1: Man management, yeah. be a good dude. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I would I'd probably... I'd, I'd want to play in Dortmund right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way yeah. they play... Uh, the numbers around the ball, the risks they take with short passing, the that all appeals to me. All I would right. love to try and be like a, a Matt Hummels in that team. I,
0: I I could see you as as a replacement. Matt Hummels, you gotta get the hair a little bit longer though. If you make that happen, then maybe you can just keep jumping back and forth between uh, Dortmund and Byron. That could work really well.
1: So it's just those out those outside that put passes from deep. I oh, <laughs> love that.
0: Uh, at this point then, should we just all have, with the Bundesliga having just come back, we're three match days in, should we all just kind of uh, switch off? Do you think Do you think Bayern can go ahead and celebrate and we can call it a day?
1: I do not, just because who knows what's going to happen, right? We've never seen this kind of break, this kind of coming back into it. Uh, I, I don't expect anything to be wild, right, to go off the rails. But if you're another team, you have to be telling yourself that, Something crazy could happen. That there's a reason to keep going, to keep pushing.
0: Um, and maybe that reason to keep pushing could be artificial crowd noise. Maybe that—that's what they need. They need. What to do you out. think? Do You like it? This is this is what I'm going to ask you because I was sure I would you. I'm hate flipping it. it around. I, that's I'm fine. asking you. I was sure. Like uh, Grant asked me this on, uh, uh, when I was on his show, and I said, like, I did not want them to make it louder. I was sort of like, if it if it like helps the players, maybe it's okay. But to me, it felt like it would reinforce. The idea that no one is there and that we're having to find a way to make it seem like people are there. But I kind of liked it today. It was over the feed. I thought maybe I thought at first it was in the stadium, and I didn't realize it's just a thing they're adding to the feed. But then when you hear the commentators talking about, oh, you can hear what they're saying, and you can hear what he said there, like, we cannot because we have the crowd noise. So that was maybe the only drawback. But aside from that, it did make it feel like it was more of a game. I did like whoever was doing the Dortmund-Bayern one especially did a great job of as soon as Bayern get the ball there's some booing happening. As soon as there's a call that goes against Dortmund, there's some booing happening. It seems to tr- switch pretty quickly. That does then, uh, to give you the long rambling answer, I think I'm in favor of it now, with the exception that you can't hear what they're saying, which is kind of a drawback. And number two, at a certain point, it does feel like a, an unfair advantage that as soon as the other team gets the ball, you like crank it to 15 out of 10 and it's just booing like that might throw people off. I mean, that's what like the Colts got in trouble for was allegedly or I don't know if they actually did like pumping in crowd noise. So like, well, yeah, they that's they where it goes the, the other side of the spectrum for me.
1: But they don't hear in the stadium.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I guess I guess as long as they're not doing that, that's still from the perspective of if they could hear it, then I think it's it's yeah. that only drawback is just that if it like if you want to be able to hear what the players are doing, maybe it'd be nice to have the the option to switch. But other than that, it it does make it a more enjoyable experience, I think, just from a like From the customary way of watching soccer, of like having it on, you've got the crowd noise. Uh, It can be a little bit of a white noise machine at times, which is also kind of a pleasant thing. So I think I'm in favor of it. Now, what do you think, Bobby?
1: I don't have a strong. My my bigger takeaway from just German, you know, Bundesliga Fox broadcasts is just that the the selection of the world feed to me is not up to par with what we're used to from Fox, whether it's stew or from Taylor, I just don't I don't enjoy their selections on the world feed hmm. so I guess that whatever happens with the crowd noise doesn't matter to me So, so to be um, honest I've actually I listened to the crowd noise for like 2 minutes to hear what it was like yeah. and then I turned off the sound and listened to a podcast I'm going to tell, I'm
0: going tell am going to tell everybody you said that if if, if and when we have Lutz Fanage on the show I'm going to say Bobby Warshaw doesn't like your work
1: Uh okay <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bobby, what is the quietest... It's not, I
1: dislike, it's not that I dislike it, it's just I like podcasts more. How about that? Okay, but I'll I take really that. Like, I really like the ultimate bracket brought to you by Ted
0: and Bill. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice of you. Is that what you were listening to? Or what do you listen to then when you're watching soccer?
1: Uh, I've, li- well, I've been listening to years and I just got into the Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll show. Have you heard about this? Uh-uh. The Ringer just brought together... Steve or- Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll. The I would have bet coach. all
0: the money in the world that that was a ringer production based solely on those two yeah. people. But yeah. Okay. So so how does it work? What, is it, what goes into it?
1: They just they just talk, man. They talk about coaching. They talk about their experiences. Oh. The last one was actually really good. It was about, uh, I don't know if it was the last one. I'm out of order. But it was about the need to have foundational, like ethical values. It's like being a coach isn't about picking your tactics, or your strategy. It's about who you are and the culture you set up. Okay. So I listened to that while I watched the soccer.
0: What's it called again?
1: Flying Coaches.
0: All right. Okay. I can I check that out. Uh, but I before I do that. on a podcast for a podcast I have nothing to do with. I don't know hey. why, how that happened. We're, we're meta. We're meta. It's fine. Hey, it's Taylor again. I'm interrupting to let you know that this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you in part by our friends at Hawthorne. Uh, not Hawthorne Wipes. Uh, Chevy Chase is not involved. It is Hawthorne. Hawthorne helps you get supplied with all of the essential bathroom needs uh, from uh, cologne, if you want to go that route, to hand cream, to face cleanser, to shampoo, to conditioner, to soap, to deodorant, to everything you might need. The way it works is you go to Hawthorne.co. Uh Hawthorne with an E.co.com. You introduce yourself where you can take a quiz that talks about like your hair type, your skin type, your preferred night out, your preferred drink of choice. Uh, lots of other little things in there. Uh, more of them about skincare and sort of your overall bathroom regimen, less so about like your preferred drink on a Tuesday night. Uh, but what they will do then is kind of take that information you give them, you finish the quiz, and they will select some products that you can then review and figure out if you like. They tend to come in sets, so you'll get like a soap set. Shampoo set. So for example, uh, I do tend to have sensitive skin. Uh, You're learning a lot about me today. And you know, I want to I want to keep the the face looking good. uh, Because though you are just hearing my voice, the face is the true moneymaker. I think we all know that. So Hawthorne suggested that I would enjoy a gentle and mild face cleanser, a gentle and mild face lotion. And that's kind of how I'd go with, yeah, gentle and mild, that sounds right. Uh, But you can select the products, you can put them together, you can have yourself looking, smelling, feeling as good as you want to. So check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. One more time, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E, Hawthorne with an E, and .co, not .com, hawthorne.co. Use promo code T-S-S to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use code T-S-S to get 10% off your purchase. Hawthorne.com. C-O, no comm in there. All right, back to Bobby. These are obviously like, like closed-door games. Bobby, have you played in a closed-door game? Or if not, what is the kind of quietest stadium experience you've had?
1: Yeah, man, I played in Norway. We got like small towns. We played once like up in the Arctic Circle in a bubble. It's, uh, yeah, and friendlies. I mean, I didn't mind it. I think this is where everyone says that it's, Every, I didn't mind it, but I, I enjoyed the challenge. Like everyone says, that it's hard to play in forty-five thousand people. I thought it was way harder to play in front of like eight hundred people or two hundred people uh, in a friendly or in some random game. Uh, but I enjoyed it. Like I, I never really could tell the difference.
0: Why, but why did you feel like it was maybe a little bit harder to play in front of smaller crowds?
1: Uh, just for accountability, mm-hmm. right? Like you, when you have people cheering, people booing, you have the noise. It is it's instant energy mm-hmm. not instant energy but it helps you find energy uh but all of a sudden you've got nobody watching nobody around it feels a little bit empty uh you know then mm-hmm. it's a little bit harder to dig in it's a little bit harder to do those little details
0: what's what's the most flipping it around what's the most intense atmosphere you've experienced uh in your career as a player as a player i don't want to hear about you as a broadcaster as a fan
1: oh the crowd mm-hmm. I would say when I was a rookie going down to El Salvador, and I don't remember the other one was like Panama maybe, and you get off the flight and at security there's like armed guards with machine guns protecting you, and you've got the escort to the stadium, and the stadiums in Central America are different. I would say that as a professional rookie in like my first couple months was a a unique experience.
0: But but have you had the experience of it getting so loud that it's difficult to hear? Because I think. Like I have never been on the field when it is that loud before. And yeah. and so to me, it's like, yeah, but you're on the field, like you can probably tune it out. It's why like I used to wonder that as, as a kid and even as an adult, like like if there's a f- person with a whistle in the crowd, why don't the players stop? And it's obviously because they're like so locked in on the game that they can differentiate the referee from the fans, generally speaking. Um, but I, I, I do then wonder what that experience is like, like what it is when everybody's that loud, how hard it can be to kind of get instructions from the coach, relay those to your teammates and have just yeah. general dialogue that you need to have to be able to Play successfully,
1: you know. I actually didn't. I, I don't know if I had that many as pro. Maybe Seattle once mm-hmm. when we were up like late in the game. The the one I remember specifically was when I was sixteen with the U.S. Under seventeen national team. We were down in Brazil, and in the southeast of Brazil, the big rivalry is Cruzeiro versus At- Atlético monero I don't actually know this by the way. It's just like you learn it. This is what they told us when we were sixteen. I've never fact checked yeah. it. <laughs> it's but one the of those. Big, yeah, the big derby is Cruzeiro versus monero and they had a Syria Brazilian Syria game right after us and we played the Cruzeiro reserves right before them wow. so by like halftime the stadium was packed and we were in Cruzeiro stadium so however what you know the 20,000 Monero fans or 15,000 were cheering for us and as a 16 year old I'm trying to yell to my other center mid and he couldn't hear me uh, so that was that that's the specific time I remember not being able to communicate and that's also the game when I got my five teeth knocked out
0: I was about so to say, I, wow! I didn't know that you get five teeth knocked out, but you're so pretty.
1: Twenty stitches and five teeth, yeah. Whoa! In that game. So Which not ones? only could I not hear my teammates, not only was this incredible experience, but I was so riled up that I won a header, and I won it so well that the other dude went straight through my forehead and my so mouth.
0: So was it a, was it a dirty challenge, or was it just sort of one of those? If you went all in, he went all in, and things happened.
1: I think it was just head to head, but he uh, was fine. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know why my head was softer than his. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. But uh, I'm glad you're here to talk to me and make sense of things, and that you have. It looks like all your teeth. We're doing this on video, so I can see them. They they, they look like they're all in there. Uh, did you like pick them up off the field and just like shove them back in? How did that go down? Yeah,
1: hey, you got to buy the book. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Wait, you got to buy the book.
0: I think maybe maybe I maybe I must have stopped with your like FC Dallas portion because I do not remember this, and I've. This huh.
1: is before this. First of all, you didn't finish
0: the book? Apparently not. Maybe I just like crammed it really fast in preparation for you being on the oh, show. Oh, my
1: goodness. <laughs> if I had known that.
0: Uh, but, yes, you should buy that book. It's real good. We'll put a link to the show notes. Um, it's uh, so
1: good. It's so good I didn't even finish it Well sense. no,
0: because this is the right, this is this is how this is the nature of the thing though, is like I think when you were coming on, Daryl was like, Oh, Bobby's coming on, we have a couple copies of the book. And I was like, All right, I guess I'll cram it really, really quickly. I was definitely not reading for retention as much as being able to like stay up with you as you were sort of relying things. And then I think I didn't even end up appearing people on that I show. Sent it to. What's that? You were the first
1: people I sent it to. Yeah, I think you, I got the book. Uh-huh. I'm not even kidding you. I didn't even this we didn't even know each other before this. I just loved what you did. I thought it would be super cool to have you guys talk about my book. So, before I sent it to Goff and Grant and like the regular outlets, you like us more and than Men and Blazers. You like us more than Men and Blazers. You.
0: you sent it to us before Men and Blazers? This is me looking at you skeptically. I,
1: yes. All
0: right. Do mm-hmm. you want me to show you my updated Google Doc for this? I bet you I've read Go more of your book than Roger Bennett. Dates? That's what I have to say to that. You didn't even read it. So how does it make you feel? I did. I did. I, wonder, I just don't remember this I'll, anecdote. I'll it. Whatever. I think maybe you're just too stoic to uh, to talk about your injuries, whereas when you're cursing out the Richmond Kickers, that's what I focus on. On page one, by the way. Uh, but, <laughs> Bobby, like, do you think with the closed-door atmosphere, uh, genuine question, because, again, I, I am not a pro. You were a professional. Do, does that change the way these players prepare for the game? Just from the standpoint of, if you're doing warm-ups and you've got 80,000 people there as you're warming up, maybe there is that little like extra incentive to like make sure I get my warm-up shot on gold yeah. or you warm up a little bit tighter. You don't do you think that has any effect on the players?
1: I don't. I think if anything has changed, it is just the lack of normal preparation going into high-intensity matches. That these are basically their preseason friendlies. Hmm. And I I have a long I have longer thoughts on on all of that, which I I can't get in. I don't want to get into, but uh yeah I think if anything well, is adjusted the games, what's that?
0: I said what you got somewhere else to be
1: No, it's just if any if anything adjusted the games, mm-hmm. I think it is just the coming back off the break, not the crowd.
0: No, right. well, then coming back off the break, have there been Americans moving away from uh, this game in particular for a moment. Mm-hmm. Have there been any Americans in particular that you have enjoyed seeing again or you've seen maybe improve their game just a little bit? Obviously, it's only been two for some players, three games that they've had the opportunity to do so. Have there been any people that have stood out to you in a good way? And to be fair, have there been any players that have stood out to you in the opposite of a good way?
1: Hmm. Uh, Jonathan Brooks looked good last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually I, I've not, ne- I've. No I have not rated him as highly as others have, but I thought he was really strong last week. Listen, Taylor, we talked about this and we just text about Weston McKinney and just what an interesting, fascinating player he is, and what a task a head coach. Because Weston clearly is very good at some things and struggles at some things, and finding the right way to use what I consider A A you know, a couple really A A plus attributes, but also some that are Below average for where he needs to be, and how to how to bring that out of him in the best way possible, um, if you watch talk it, it it's clear it's probably not happening right now. Um, who knows why that is, but I just think Weston McKinney is such a fascinating player.
0: Bobby, are you going to run for office at some point because I feel like you are very good at the diplomatic answers
1: i'll tell you what what's happened no, this is a really fair question. What's happened to me since uh leaving media? is you just, I don't like, whether people like me on the show, whether you like me on the show, it doesn't matter to like my future. Uh-huh. So I don't need to, I don't need to take a, not take a risk, but I don't need to solidify an uncertainty for entertainment purposes. And then once you step <laughs> back from that, well, the truth is like, mm-hmm. when you think about anything about predictions and modeling and assessment, it's all ingredients, right? It's, like, it's not whether I think Wes McKenney is going to start in a World Cup or play in a Champions League game. It's, you know, I think he's got X percentage to do this, Y percentage to do that, Z percentage to do something else. So I think just stepping back from media, I no longer feel a need to, not to have a take, but just to, like, have a, have a stronger feeling than the truth. And the truth is players are good at some things or bad at other things, and they have some percentage of accomplishing some feat. Which is not great content. I apologize.
0: Well, no, what do you mean then when you say they have some percentage, like chance? Like, do you just mean that, as with anybody, like there's a 0% chance that I'm going to play in the Bundesliga tomorrow? There's maybe a slightly higher percentage chance that somebody else does. Like, is that what you mean? Just that chances are chances and that's how it goes? Basically, are you saying there's predestination? Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Well, <laughs> love for this. this is going a whole new direction. <laughs> um, well, you think you think about a player, right? And and the the whole conversation is he's good, he's bad, he's going to make it, he's not, and that's sports, right? Like the truth that is what makes sports fun and entertaining. And I would not want to take that away from a media or a fan perspective. But the truth is that nothing is yes or no; it's some probability, you know, it, in uh, a Trying to think about the best way to describe. No, it. No, no, no. Everything I, I has a probability of, of you know, like you take a you take a player. Does he have a? Is he going to play in Champions League in three years? There is a seventy percent yes, thirty percent no, or forty percent yes, sixty percent no. What makes that hard from a a retrospective or an analysis analysis position is if you say that he has a seventy five percent chance of making it, and he doesn't make it. All of a sudden now you were wrong or you were deemed wrong Mm -hmm. because you put that percentage over 51 percent, even though I would I never declare that it was zero, Mm -hmm. that it was just that like the unlikely occurrence happened.
0: Right. So what are you Are you saying then that you don't want to talk about players because you could one day be wrong? I don't know where I went with this. <laughs> like, I don't know how we got here. I mean, uh, y- y- you may well be wrong someday about Weston McKinney. You could also be right. And that's the beauty of it all. I think I like, didn't say anything. That's the, I didn't say anything about him. I mean, I'm saying, though, that like that, that's the beauty of like if you're trying to like avoid talking about it because there could one day be an incident that then leads you to be wrong. Isn't that sort of yeah. the nature of talking about anything in life?
1: Oh man, I are gonna do this, I think I'm gonna get a drink, man. <laughs>
0: Hey folks, this is Taylor interrupting for the very last time. On this episode, I'll continue to interrupt Bobby, but I won't interrupt the flow of the show, but I did want to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Sunday Scaries, specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that are super consumable and easy to take on the go, and legal to take on the go, which is very important. You're not going to run any issues with them in your backpack or in your uh, your uh dop kit or something like that, and probably because of the legality of CBD, Sunday Scaries have become the leading CBD. CBD brand for millennials last year, Sunday Scaries, uh, CBD gummies, and CBD oil. Uh, one top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. I like all four of those. They all feel like reputable publications. At least it wasn't like www.sundayscariesotherbest.com That one would feel like it has maybe a bit too much stake in the game. Uh, but, you know, I trust Forbes. I trust Men's Health. I trust Allure, for sure. Best Products. Why not? Uh, and they will help you kind of feel better, feel relaxed at a time when maybe we're all a little bit more stressed out. The anxiety is a little Little bit higher. Uh, maybe the lack of crowd noise in the stadium is just too distracting, but with CBD, maybe it gets ratcheted down just a teeny tiny bit. So get 25% off your first order with the code soccer at Sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at Sundayscaries.com when you enter the code soccer where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. You can find out what product might be best for you going to Sundayscaries.com using the code soccer Thank you very much to Sundayscaries for sponsoring this episode. Now back for the final time to Bobby Warshaw.
1: I don't think Weston's a passer. <laughs> I would say that the general, Amer- the general consensus around America is that he's a passing center midfielder. Yeah. And that I think people have gotten wrong. I think he might be a passer in the same way like Frank Lampard mm-hmm. could, could pass, but it wasn't what he did. Um, you can't put Weston in a position that he is a main passer.
0: I, I, I feel like I've sort of been like if if I'm the debate moderator and you're like the candidate, again, we're continuing with the politics analogy. I feel like I've I've slowly worn you would down you to you telling would me you that basically mask, what's that?
1: Would you wear a mask, though?
0: I mean, yeah, it, it's what it's what's protocol. And I would stand six feet away from you. Uh, and even if you gave me monosyllabic answers at the very end of the interview, I was still have the part where you were verbose and nice, which is what Erling Holland was in the very beginning of that interview. But um, If you are the candidate then, I feel like I've worn you down enough that you have now said you don't think Weston McKinney is as good a passer as other people think. Uh, when, so then, Bobby, with, with your new non-media perspective, with your, with your, with your Bobby Warshaw human perspective, how do you then, if you were to evaluate the progress that Weston McKinney makes over the course of this season, are you looking at it from a statistical standpoint of, oh, he completed 20% more passes from game to game or 10% more every single game? his passing percentage increased or whatever. So like I can tell now that his passing has gotten better. Is it an eye test thing for you where if you watch a game and suddenly he completes a pass, you didn't think he could, then he's attained that next level. Or is it just sort of, you're just watching him and over the course of a season at the end of it, maybe he's better, maybe he's worse, but you don't have like that concrete hard opinion anymore.
1: Yeah. It's oh, it's always nice to have data on the back end to, uh-huh. to have a second look at what you're feeling. Uh, I would say just, it's also partially an eye test when he gets the ball under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I would actually say it's not even at this moment, his, whether his ability is there, it's just right now he is, he's a little jumpy and nervous with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would just like to see David Wagner find a way to get him to feel more comfortable, to feel more confident mm-hmm. um, with that. I also think that he should move him to a different spot because man, when he has space and in transition, he can play some special passes. He can do some special things. So I also don't understand uh, since I don't understand, so you basically have this idea where do we really do we really fight to improve what he's weak at mm. to pair what he does well, or do we just say we're gonna not even worry about what you do poorly and we're gonna lean into what you do well? Right. And I would say that that shock has done neither,
0: uh-huh.
1: and they need to make that decision. They need to acknowledge it. Cause I don't think anybody has acknowledged the variance of what he what he excels at and what he
0: doesn't so if you if greg berhalter hires you uh to be an assistant coach so good for you you don't even have to do media stuff anymore maybe you have to do some interviews here and there we hope you'll still come on the show uh but if berhalter puts you in that position and and tasks you with designing a spot that best fits Weston McKinney's skill set right now what does that position look like okay. do you think
1: it's really nice i was just talking to people about this uh I would either I would probably attack out of a, I would play him, I would play him on the right of 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 three defenders probably, or as the second player underneath a striker like Dortmund had today. Basically, what Julian Brandt or Thorgan Thorgan Hazard was doing Hmm. behind Holland.
0: That's Um, that's I don't disagree, but it is strange to hear you say like either. If you say right of three, I'm assuming you're saying like right center back or as like support striker underneath the striker, those feel like very like dissimilar positions
1: uh why well why do you why do they feel dissimilar to
0: you i think simply just because one is like you're saying like he should be the right side right side defender in a back three or not even saying that you said a back three but like the the, the right sided defender versus a position that's almost meant to be more of like a creative fulcrum in my mind like i'm not saying that they are mutually exclusive i just think it's it's interesting to hear you say either this or this and to me those seem dissimilar it sounds like maybe to you they're not dissimilar
1: what did anybody do on the field today that was creative
0: uh I mean, there are some diving. that's pretty creative uh Yoshuanick, like, I guess you could say that finish is creative because it requires the vision and the technical ability to pull it off i mean there's some good passing interplays there, but I take your point. a lot of it is about about speed and transition and the quickness and um, willingness and ability to play quick passes into dangerous areas
1: yeah, there are two spots where like that that spot underneath the striker now is largely like counter pressing, it's largely bouncing passes off. It's it's late runs into the box or early runs mm-hmm. in behind a striker. Uh, I think this idea that a player off a striker now has to be like some I mean, this is this is old news, right? I don't have to say this, but has to have more Raquelme than he does Catuso, I'm not sure is true. And if you can if you can do Raquel May and Catuso, that's great. Then you're worth a hundred million. But I don't mind saying that a player should both play defense mm-hmm. and attacking mid.
0: Who then, like, I'm I'm really interested in how you sort of like, like see players and how you not even evaluate them, but just sort of understand them and what they have to offer. So, for example, like, do you have a favorite American player right now or a favorite player in the Bundesliga right now? Like, is that the way you tend to see things? Like, do you see, oh, I really love watching this guy. It's appointment television for me. Or do you just tune in and watch a game and see who stands out?
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's two parts of that. And this one we also talk about just like over drinks every now and then is the difference between fandom and analysis and in the world today, they are way too combined. You know, as fan, I lo- I love Yanez and Gio Reyna and Richie Ledesma as much as the next person, but there also has to be some like honest, non disingenuous analysis about where they stand and what they can do in the place in their careers that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a fan, man, give me those three do like those types of guys all day. Um, but as a person who I th- always for better or for worse, I always think about if I were this coach, if I were this team president, what would I do? Uh, I think the truth is most of us would not put our bacon on that type of player yet. So to answer your question, my favorite player right now
0: overall is Tyler Adams hmm. okay. after that, yeah. And then after that is it a pretty big like uh, pretty big gap?
1: No, the truth is I really like Aaron Long as a player. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I think he's underrated as a passer, underrated on the ball, because he plays for Red Bulls where it doesn't matter and we just don't see it. And when you have a player with his courage and his athleticism, it just like opens up the world for you as a team to defend.
0: I should have I, I should have seen the Aaron Long like pick coming because that does feel like a, a Bobby Warshaw like likes a technical center back but also goes off the beaten path. He's not thrown out as a Josh Sargent. He's thrown out Aaron Long, the established center back who could probably move elsewhere and do even more stuff. I like that. That's a that's a, that's a good choice. Do you want Aaron Long? Yeah. Would you Would you like to see Aaron Long as captain? Do you think he brings that skill set to the no. to the table?
1: No, I would make Tyler captain. I mean, Tyler's probably Tyler's probably be captain now. Mm-hmm. And what uh, do you what no, do you I like?
0: Go well, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I asked you a question would, and then uh, I interrupted.
1: No, I don't have anything, Dad. I would not. I would make Tyler captain, not Aaron.
0: And what is it about Tyler Adams that you like, or is it just all of the different factors uh, on offer, <laughs> plus the t- the statistics to back it up? I'm going to assume that you have those ready to go.
1: Well, I'll zero. I'll zero it in as a as just as a leader because I think that's more interesting. And I don't know if we talked about this, but I talked about it on another total soccer show. Was. When you think about your, but you can't remember
0: every appearance you've made. You can't remember every Total Soccer Show episode, and I'm supposed to remember every page of your book? Unacceptable.
1: No, you got you got like nine shows these days, dude. (laughs) That's all I know is 2019 we were hanging out and it was Total Soccer Show, and now you've got like Total Soccer Show on six different networks. We
0: haven't added Total Soccer Show Plus yet. That seems to be the route that most people go. You gotta add Plus to it to make it seem even fancier.
1: Total Soccer Show is now when I turn on Premier League on the last day and I see everything that uh, NBC owns. Uh, so I think if you think about a captain, it's a really important choice. You know, one thing I suppose a pro is that who your captain is actually does matter a lot. Mm-hmm. And there are some players who are just better left alone, right? Like I think a Christian Pulisic, a Wesley McKinney, uh, a Josh Sartre, like these guys who, even though they're talented, they might end up being the best player. Um, like you just got to let them play. And there's some guys who are better when they have, the, they have to worry about everyone else's accountability. And it seems like Adams is that player to me. And it seems like he's actually the – and Michael Bradley was that guy. Eh, Michael Bradley was that guy for most of his career. Um, so, yeah, as a leader, I'm excited to see where he goes. All
0: right. And then, uh, final couple questions for you, uh, and then I will stop making your, your head hurt and contemplate drinking. Uh, with Bayern as far ahead as they are right now, things could always change, obviously. But what what are some reasons then, like the title race aside, that you will continue to watch the Bundesliga? Are there individual players, or teams, or coaches, or things that you're looking for? Tactical trends, what have you?
1: Everything, man. It's a great league, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard your thoughts on Bundesliga. Have you given like an overarching
0: opinion? I mean, it good. That's my, that's my, my basic opinion. Um, I, I, I think it's a great like first league to have back, uh, because I think part of that is informed by, by Germany and Angela Merkel and me feeling like they probably have it the most likely to have everything together and the protocols in place. So from a safety and health standpoint, that's a big one. But then I think you also have like young coaches, the variety of attack, the variety of styles, um, the immigration laws allowing for younger players from a lot of different backgrounds to come together. I think it's, it's like a, more of like a, like a football melting pot, the Bundesliga is, than certainly than it used to be. And I think that the sort of fluidity of ideas and how like quickly this coach becomes the uh, coach of this team becomes the coach of Chelsea. Like it, it seems like there's a lot of, uh, potential both in, in the young players and the youth on offer and in the management as well. And in a lot of the ideas that are uh, tried or experimented with in the Bundesliga, because it's the money ball thing. You're trying to compete with the Yankees in this case, Bayern Munich. And if you're the Oakland A's, you got to find a way to try to make that happen. And it usually leads to innovative tactics or sort of valuing undervalued skill sets and finding a way to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And that seems like a thing that happens more often than not in the Bundesliga. And yeah. then Bayern I, win the title and then Bayern I, win the I, title
1: every everything he said was uh was spot on. Oh, okay. It's just All if right. you care about these little if you care about the little intricacies, right? The things probably one layer lower within the sport, it's the be, it's the best league, yeah. right? The the yeah. tactical nuance, the the decisions the coaches make, the fluidity, uh there's so the the parity, like it, it doesn't feel like you turn on a game even if it is Bayern versus somebody that it looks the same as Barca versus Granada or Man City versus Burnley. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. all right. Now now I feel even more excited to go watch more Bundesliga, even if Byron do eventually win the title again. Uh, at least there's exciting things out there and we can learn stuff from it. And if we do, I hope that Bobby will still be willing to come on the show and, and talk about those things and not feel like his uh, his feet have been held to the political flame. I hope that's not the case.
1: I just feel like... You and I have – we have to emotionally get ready for these conversations. I don't think at the start of this, you and I were emotionally ready for where these inevitably go. And after every single show we do this, I think I text you within an hour and I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry about whatever just happened. <laughs> I know you wanted to talk about these things and it just – I apologize. <laughs>
0: well, well, why do you think we keep having you on the show, Bobby? Clearly, Clearly it doesn't bother me or us that much at all.
1: Well, you got so many shows, you're running out
0: of guests. <laughs> well, I mean, there's that. We've got, we got to fill the hours. <laughs> you don't have to put it in that level of perspective, you and your statistics. Well,
1: what was the last question? I'm excited for this last question. You uh, said you had two. Uh,
0: can you tell us a bit about uh, what you've been up to since last we spoke? Because I think you and I talked very briefly about 21st Club uh, when we were in New York, but I'm not sure most people know what you've been up to.
1: Yeah. So uh, in the last couple months, I joined 21st Club which is a sports intelligence company working in sock soccer. I was going to say sock working in soccer. Uh-huh,
0: that checks um, out. I got,
1: I caught up here cause I was trying to figure out if I should say, we also have basically a, a second company called 15th club that does golf.
0: I was wondering about this as well, since you have both in your Twitter yeah. bio. And I was like, what does he have to be in an even more exclusive loan? 21 was, was too too open 15 <laughs> is even better.
1: Yeah. So 21st club is soccer, 15th club is golf. Um, it is effectively data-driven consulting, you know, consulting services with the backbone in data. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome, man. It's like I really enjoy it for a lot of reasons. It was – I've always wanted to get more into the business, the technical side of, of soccer. Um, so it's been a really cool transition.
0: All right. and And – Unlike Emerson Hyman, you do have that college degree that you can fall back on. So there you go. I'm I assuming did. that that was that, that at least played a small role in your resume in getting that gig.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure. That, I think one thing they don't tell you is that after your first job, your college resume doesn't matter at all.
0: Yeah, that's true. You know? Or, like, or in my case, a- doesn't matter at all. But yeah.
1: I forget that every time.
0: <laughs> History and anthropology, man. My parents were thrilled that that's what I chose to go with. They are like, you're going to get so many job offers, to which I think I responded, I'll be Indiana Jones, it'll be fine, which is what every person who majors in anthropology thinks doesn't really work out, Bobby. I don't look in a leather jacket and a fedora. That's that's the real drawback to it all. <laughs> <laughs> and on that I, I, note...
1: <laughs> how do you, are we just going to end the show on leather jackets and fedoras?
0: Yeah, unless you unless you have anything else to talk about. You want to talk more about Der Klassiker that yeah. isn't Der classicer.
1: I could talk more about 15th Club, but I don't know. Like, I, I My guess is your audience doesn't care as much about... About that type of stuff. Golf is the, the one with the rackets, we, right? You, you use the racket talk- to play for golf.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: you only one person can use the racket. Everyone else has to use clubs.
0: Okay. That's an, see, then I would watch golf. <laughs> now, now I'm interested. Now I'm interested. <laughs> all right, well, Bobby, thank you very much for taking all the time uh, to talk about a lot of different things with me. That tends it, it to be the way it goes. We should just add that disclaimer whenever you and I do one on one interviews. You and Daryl, uh, th- the same, that we're going to start on a topic, we're going to end on a wholly different topic. I can guarantee people that. But, Bobby, good to see you. Good to talk to you. Uh, thank you for taking the time.
1: Thanks for having me.